Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Now, how have your New Year's resolutions been going? Are they going okay? Yes? No? Maybe? Well, um, I think the most important resolutions to keep are reading resolutions. They're the best ones. They're good for your body, your mind, your soul. Um, and one of the New Year's resolutions we've been making in the Vintage Office uh, recently is to read more women in 2019. So much so that we've created a big global um, book club all about reading women. We're pairing a classic uh, with a new book and we're going to talk about them together. Each month has a theme um, and it's really exciting. So if you go to po.st slash Vintage Women Book Club, you can join the club on Facebook. Uh, if you go to po.st slash Vintage Women, you can read the whole list. Um, but one of the um, women that we're going to be reading this year is Colette. Have you heard about Colette? Do you know who she is? Well, I was as surprised as you uh, when I realised how prolific and incredible a writer she was, what a literary influence on modern day um, books and feminism. But actually, we don't really hear that much about her. And you might have heard about her recently because Kira Knightley is actually playing her in the film with the same title, Colette. Colette is the creator of characters like Claudine, Sherry and Gigi. Uh, she's one of France's most outstanding writers. She led a long and varied and very active life. Um, so she was born in Burgundy in 1873 to a house filled with cats, dogs and children and she was educated at the local village school. At the age of 20, she moved to Paris with her first husband, the notorious writer and critic Henry Gauthersvillers. Um, and by locking her in her room, Henry, or, or Willie as he was called, forced Colette to write her first novels, uh, which were the Claudine series, uh, which were published under his name. They were an instant success, but uh, after a long time, Colette eventually left Willie in 1906 and worked in music halls as an actor and a dancer. She had a love affair with Napoleon's niece. Uh, she married twice more. She had a baby at 40 and at 47. Her writing, which included novels, portraits and essays and a large body of autobiographical prose, was admired by people like Proust. And yet there is so much more to know about her. That is why today in the Vintage Studio, we have Elizabeth Carlson, who is the producer of the film Colette with Kira Knightley. So here is Fran, one of our editors here at Vintage that oversaw the reissues of these beautiful Colette books. Um, we've just reprinted them with brand new covers and they look incredible. Um, she's going to be talking to Elizabeth about the politics of machine-like content creation and the ownership of art, uh, creating the teenager in literature as Colette arguably did, and the relationship historically that women have with pseudonyms. Um, so without further ado, here is Elizabeth and Fran in conversation. Okay, so I'm Frances Macmillan, I'm Senior Editor at Vintage Classics, and I'm very lucky to be talking today to Elizabeth Carlson, who is the producer and has worked on an incredible roster of films from Carol to The Crying Game, and also quite a lot of adaptations of our books, like On Chazel Beach and Midnight's Children, um, just to name a few, so we're really lucky to be talking to you today, um, and today we're going to talk about... Um, something we're really excited about coming out next month in January, which is a biopic of Colette, um, starring Kira Knightley. Um, and we're excited because we're the exclusive um, publisher of most of her most famous novels, like Gigi, Sherry, and of course um, the Claudine series, which mm -hmm. feature prominently in the film because it's about the period in her life when she was writing, Colette yeah. was writing these books. Um, but 
uh, I wonder, Elizabeth, if you could sort of introduce the film for us and talk about uh, sort of a brief process of the plot and what happens. Yes. So the film's called Colette and it focuses on the early years, really the making of Colette the writer. And it starts when she's age sort of 18, 19 and marries uh, Willie and ends when she's about age 34 and leaves Willie. And it's that moment in her life where she found her creative voice, found very much an intellectual and creative soulmate before she sort of had an awakening and realized that she, her individual authorship was being um, sidelined. And really an awakening, creative awakening, all of the, the, the sort of opinions and ideas that she formed during that period and, and then when she finally leaves Willie. And it's incredibly entertaining mm. with a brilliant, brilliant performance by Kira Knightley mm. at its core, supported by the brilliant Dominic West. Mm. And it's just, it's unexpected. Mm. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that I feel so proud of is that people who come out of it say two things. They go, oh my God, I had no idea. Either mm -hmm. they didn't know Colette or even if they did know of Colette, they had no idea. Mm how dynamic and how daring her life was. Mm -hmm. Right, I see. So to, just to explain to people who don't know, Colette um, married a writer, is that right? Willie was a, a very prolific writer, but and he encouraged her to write down some of her experiences of growing up. Is yeah, that right? so and she, she met Willie, who was um, 17 years her senior, mm. and he was someone that her father had known in the war. And she met him, they fell in love, and she was a country girl. Mm. She was an only child, lived in the countryside in Burgundy. And really her mother was the one who clocked quite early on that she was special. Mm. She saw that she was had a very, very curious mind, was super smart mm. and just defiant mm. in the best of all possible ways. So Colette falls in love with Willie, goes off to live with him in Paris, which is a huge shock to her. And he was a writer, but he really was a kind of impresario. Mm. He was almost like a producer. I mean, he is so contemporary. He could be walking through the doors of a Hollywood studio today, mm. Mm. and he would completely fit in. Mm -hmm. um, he came up with ideas of branding and marketing, and he sort of ran it. He had a factory. He called it a factory long before Andy Warhol did. Yeah. And he had a factory of writers, and he was just churning stuff out. Content. I mean, he was churning mm. out content. Mm. And uh, he was the one who, having initially... Um, poo-pooed Colette's efforts at writing about her school days. He had encouraged her to write about them because they were broke, and he suddenly thought, oh, she should write about that. Maybe there's something in it. And she did, and he read it, and then he decided that it was just completely useless. He couldn't do anything mm -hmm. with it. And then when they really hit rock bottom, he returns to the manuscripts and thinks, hmm, maybe there is something here, and, mm -hmm. and that's how it started. Right, okay. And But it, her stories about Claudine, which are very autobiographical, yes. um, were published under his name. Yes. And and that's where the sort of sidelining comes from. So although he gave her the room to become a writer, then yeah. it's, it's still within the, mm -hmm. under his name. But um, how closely then does the film, does it, is it 
telling the true story or did I mean because obviously she uses her story and and embellishes and fictionalizes yeah. but did you end up doing that at all in the film or is it very t- no true it's to very life? it's very very true to life I mean Wash Westmoreland who wrote it with his partner uh, Richard Glatzer um, who they wrote Still Alice wrote and directed Still Alice okay. together and Richard Glatzer very sadly passed away from motor neuron disease just after Julianne right. Moore won the Oscar for Still Alice and they had this um, idea for a script and they had a draft of the script and then when it came our way we introduced Wash to Rebecca Lenkovitz who's a wonderful writer who did Ida, the Pavel Pavlovsky film that won the Best Foreign Film Oscar. Mm. She worked on Disobedience. She's just a fantastic Mm. writer and a wonderful woman. Mm. And she and Wash really hit it off. And Rebecca loved Colette and her work. So together they worked on the script and honed the script. Um, And they, we did, you know, they in particular, but all of us did a lot of research. So it, 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 tracks very very closely the, mm-hmm. the the truth of Colette if there's a truth but as reported of her life I mm. mean obviously because you are telling a story that takes place over 18 years in you know 118 minutes mm. you do necessarily have to take some liberties with time and how things are elided or time is condensed and you make certain choices mm. for it's storytelling yeah it's storytelling yeah, exactly yeah. but certainly all of those primary events did happen in Colette's life it's an incredible life isn't it yeah it's truly an incredible life and this is just one small part of it well uh, I was going to ask a question about that later on but why do you think um, this is the right moment for a film about Colette why should we be thinking and learning about her do you think yeah well I mean it's a lot you know we're all talking at the time is is stories that were marginalized stories because Mm. they didn't fit within the dominant voice which typically the dominant voice has been you know, the white heterosexual male voice. So it has throughout history of Tory storytelling been difficult to get stories that are outside of that um, particular drift told. Um, so I think that Wash had struggled for quite a while of trying to get the story out mm-hmm. here. And my partner Stephen Woolley and I have found, even with our own films, and we did make a film called The Crying Game mm. 26 years ago, when mm. I think it was 26 years ago, it was just so radical yeah, that to get absolutely. that film financed was really, really challenging. But I do think, you know, now, as we have seen with many, many films and storytelling and TV series that are out there, is suddenly, you know, there is a huge appetite mm. for these films. Women make up 50% of the population. And, mm. and people who hold the purse strings and mm. who are commissioners are suddenly saying, oh, my God, there's an audience out there in them, their hills for these stories. So I think there's a huge appetite. Mm. There's an audience out there who is starved for mm. a history that is essentially a silent history. Women's history and history of marginal groups mm. is a silent history because it's not the dominant voice. Mm. And, you know, also... Colette's story was just fantastic. I mean, we all, I think, are drawn to the story of a rebel, whether it's the success of a current document called Free Solo, where, oh my gosh, there's a guy who's climbing, free climbing with no ropes up a mountain. Mm. How insane is that? Mm. You know, how out there is that person that they Mm. can do that? And the thing about, you know, Colette was... She just, she didn't care Mm. what the structures were that were out there. She was going to do her thing. Mm. And she had, she wanted to write. She had things she wanted to say. You know, she really created the teenager. She created Mm. the, the teenage woman as a 
someone who had desires and ambitions and and you know sensualities and and that was really mm. her yeah and a teenager who thinks for herself and doesn't yeah. just accept what people are telling her i mean exactly. claudine is incredibly naughty and subversive and yeah. witty and just doesn't it so you know making up her own sort of story and her own view of things all the time exactly she? which is what colette was and yeah. and those stories are so not only are they entertaining but they're just they're inspirational you know mm. they're invigorating and they're inspirational and mm. whenever i talk to young people which i do quite often i mentor people and i talk to kids in schools and okay. you know and i say to them you're one of your greatest assets is your ignorance. Mm. And when I say ignorance, I mean you don't know how things are supposed to be done. Mm. And that is so fantastic. You're mm. not a dusty, ossified being who's like, well, I can't do that because that's just not how you do things. And mm. and uh, that was what was so great about Colette. And she had, mm. really, it was her mother behind her mm. championing her. And there's a wonderful scene in the film where when Colette's marriage is not quite what she expected it to be. I mean, Willie was tricky. He mm. was definitely very tricky. And, uh, you know, he had a ton of affairs and, and all sorts of stuff going on. And she returns back home and she's with her mother in the garden. Mm. She loved nature and they're gardening. And she says to her mother, how did you get used to marriage? And the mother says, I don't think, you know, she, I paraphrase, but she says, better marriage get used to you than you get used to marriage. Right. And I mean, if you've got a champion like that yeah. behind you, you yeah. know, you've, you've yeah. got the, the honor to go out there. Yeah. 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 And That's also, it was a, you know, it was a fantastic relationship with Willie. And I think a testament to the screenplay and to Wash's direction and Kira and Dominic's performance was it shows the complexity of that relationship. Mm. There was a real, um, intellectual and creative exchange going on between them. Mm. They really did bounce off each other and they really fueled each other. And that was incredibly important to Colette's development. I mean, he really thought she was pretty fantastic. Mm. But he did also see her as a money-making machine. Mm. So he really did lock her up and just say, right, we need another book. Yes, you know, that's the famous it. scene when he locks her in the room. Yeah, and he really did lock like her scene. in the room. And you know, it it took a lot for her to break free, and she did love him. And I think she did genuinely expect when she goes to him and says, please, can you put my name on the books as well? And he said, no, that's impossible. And I don't think that she expected that response mm. because they were so much a partnership. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which but, has got to be quite unusual for that time as well, when you know, women were supposed to be subservient to their husbands, whereas she obviously yeah. wasn't. Well, yeah. and she, he was so economically dependent upon her. She really yeah. became, um, you know, the, the, the breadwinner for that, for the factory. But I think that also... You know, there were structures in place at that time which frightened him in a way that they didn't frighten her. And the, mm. the, the, the consensus mm. was that books by women don't sell. You know, and even to this day, like when J.K. Rowling published as J.K. Rowling, there was, I'm sure, an element of that that people were complicit in of, oh, if they know it's by a woman, it mm. might not sell so well. Mm. So let's just go with the initials. And Well, you know, even as a multi-million copy best-selling author she still has to publish a thriller under a man's name yes Even exactly to, may, maybe to have a separate life but also yeah there's something going so, on so um you know it's still there so willie obviously thought that he was putting on a sensible business head and mm. just saying they won't sell so mm. it's impossible but i think the ego did come into play and there were power mm. struggles mm. and of course she was right. She left him. She put her own names on the books. 
Um, she took him to court. She eventually did win authorship and got her mm. names put on the books mm. retrospectively. And she became the biggest selling author in France. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. As Colette. Yeah, as Colette. In fact, in her in these editions, in the vintage editions, there's a short introduction to each of the Claudine books, which explains their history about that sort of struggle to get her own yeah. name on them. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, it's fantastic that you're reprinting, her, you know, putting them out again and tying them in the film. And well, it's funny. I mean, I, I mean, I knew that it was, um, a, you know, a privilege to have her on the list, but then you go into her biography even for a second and you know she apparently she was one of the first women to report between the lines in world war one yeah um she was a drama critic a political writer fashion critic she had a cookery column she had, makeup yeah but beauty stores beauty stores she just did it all yeah, yeah. So, many many lovers so do you think many cats there's gonna be a sequel <laughs> oh i'd love there to be a sequel yeah i mean and also it's just such a pleasure working with wash and rebecca and our partners, Killer Films, Pam and Christine, who Stephen and I worked with producing it, and, and Kira and Dominic. It, it really, it was great. We had yeah. a fantastic team of people, and um, I would love to tell the rest I of the story. She gets pretty act. controversial as she goes along, you know. Yeah, she, she doesn't She doesn't stop. Well, it's interesting, actually, because I read that she said that feminists should be flogged. But do, do you think, um, you know, for all that she can become a controversial figure, do you think she's a great sort of role model for oh, say, young women in the arts today? Yeah, I absolutely do. And of course, a line like feminist can be flogged. I mean, when I said that she, Willie, was really a fantastic operator and he was great at branding and merchandising and selling things, I think that she was fully aware of the power of the clickbait line mm. before clickbait. You know, right. that, that kind of line was her own thing. And I think mm. what she was really saying there is, you know, she was she was someone who was completely resisting binaries, mm. you know, way mm. before binaries around sexuality mm. and gender and race and um, religion. And really, I think in that line, my interpretation of that is to resist is I can be a woman who is intelligent, who is politicized, who is culturally relevant, who has created a teenager who is interested in sexuality mm. and pleasure and desire. And, you know, I can be all of these things and I can dress how I want. I can have my hair how I want. I can have relationships with women. I can have relations with men. Don't define me. Don't put me inside a box. Mm. And she perhaps then you know, wrongly, but perhaps her interpretation of what feminism meant at the time, she saw something that was prescriptive instead mm. of something that was Absolutely, liberating. Yeah. I mean, her lover, as you see in the film, Missy, was, you know, a pre-trans woman. You mm. know, she dressed as a man and, and passed as a man, and, and she was in a relationship with Missy for years mm. and years and years. Mm. This is... I don't know if I've, I've still not seen the film, but is it is I don't know. There was a wasn't there sort of near riot when she they kissed on stage. There was a that? riot. So is that in the is that moment in the film? Or was yeah, there no, it absolutely is in the film. Is Gosh. that so? Colette then says to Willie, "I'm not writing anymore." Right. And he's like, "Well, what do you mean you're not writing?" She says, oh, "I'm not going to write anymore. I just don't feel like writing." And by this point, he was sort of powerless because mm. she was just too important and he was too dependent upon her and he couldn't lock mm. her up in the room anymore. Mm. And um, he was concerned that she was going to speak out and say, I wrote those books. Because mm. she didn't really care. I mean, she didn't really care if she had loads of money or didn't have loads of money. I mm. mean, it wasn't such a big deal to her. Mm. So... Um, 
she says, I'm going to go on stage. Mm. And she had met a guy called Varg who was um, a pantomime artist. And mm. she was really taken with that. She decided she wanted to perform. And she met this, um, the Marquise de Malbeuf, who was Missy. Right, right, and right. so they went on stage together at the, at the Moulin Rouge. And they performed something called The Dance of Egypt, which is in the film. And mm-hmm. in it, they kiss. And there absolutely was a riot. And mm. the show was canceled by the Moulin Rouge the next day. And she, she was interviewed by the press, and she was just defiant. She yeah. said, if they don't like me in Paris, I'll go elsewhere. Yeah, so she did. Yeah, she did. It's so brilliant, yeah. exciting. It's just yeah. so many parts of her life which are, you know, begged to be put on screen. And yeah, it's yeah. Exciting. And Kira is just so good. She is so good as Colette. She really threw herself into that part, and I think that just enters a whole new space in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. And what are you most proud of of the film? If you could just pick one aspect. Oh, God. I could always think just getting the films made, yeah. you know? I mean, because there were so many warning signs uh, when it came in, which is to do a film about a French icon starring a British actress in English is sort of in the old days they would be called Euro puddings. Um, but I think what's so exciting there are many exciting things. I know there's many bad things about the world we live in now, but I think one of the really exciting things is the exchange of, you know, it should be the free movement of people and the free movement of ideas. And I think that has led to being able to tell stories in all different ways. Mm. You see Roma, Mm. you know, doesn't have stars in it. It's in the Spanish language. Mm. And I'm, you know, it's going to get a ton of Oscar nominations and win. And it is the most beautiful, beautiful film and you see a film like Colette, and we did do it that way. Mm. That's how we make made it, and it works. And I'm so proud that mm. it's you got know, such a great reception. Yeah, as it's well. had yeah, such yeah, an yeah. incredible reception, and we've shown it to Colette's family in Paris, and they oh, loved wow. it. And we've okay. shown it to Chanel, and because obviously, you know, yeah. Colette was friends with Chanel the day, mm. and Kira's the face for Chanel, and they loved it. So it opens there on the 9th of January. There's a, a big screening, and that will be fun. So I'm just incredibly proud that. I think we've made a really entertaining and, and really powerful film mm. that Colette herself would be proud of. Um, and it looks lush, you know, great costumes and sets. And well, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for talking thank to you us. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. It's a real pleasure. I hope I can come back next time when I do another adaptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you've great. Got so many. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. I do hope you pick up some new editions of Colette's work. She really is a writer that deserves to be read. Um, Again, we are running our Vintage Women book club all year. um, So do pop over to our Twitter or Instagram to hear more about that or po.st slash vintage women. Don't forget to subscribe to hear more episodes like this one. Thank you so much and until next time. (laughs) 